We're going to continue uh, our series on Jesus centered this morning on Jesus is our restaurant, Jesus is the restaurant. But before I do that, I just want to read something to you that I picked out of a magazine. And uh, you may have come across this report uh, and survey that was done, um, and you may already have got your own thoughts about it. It was a research commissioned by the Church of England and the Methodist Church regarding the pandemic and church attendance. And this is what it says, early into the first lockdown, various news media sources reported huge numbers of people typing, quote, prayer into online search engines. Other headlines emerged <clears throat> around increasing interest in, in online church services. Whilst we may have taken these initial reports with some skepticism, this latest research conducted well into the pandemic confirms that something extraordinary has been happening. Tearfine reported in May 2020 that 24% of the UK adults said that they had watched or listened to a religious service uh, on radio, TV, live stream, uh, or on demand since lockdown began. Even more striking, the survey of young adults found that half of those aged 18 to 34 across the UK say that during the later lockdown they regularly engaged in online faith-related activity, including prayer and regular engagement with online worship. As work continues to better understanding the research findings, we are being encouraged to consider that amongst the extraordinary challenges and trauma of the pandemic in almost every area of life and our shared human experience, millions of people seem to have been searching and reaching out for spiritual direction, comfort, hope, and truth. The researchers recognize that a proportion of former churchgoers, they call them believers, are uncertain whether they will return or continue to follow Christ. Yet, a far larger group, which they call joiners, are an amazing, diverse mass of people that form an unexpected, fresh harvest field. Dr. Patrick Dixon, a world-renowned futurist and expert on global trends, called it nothing less than a spiritual awakening of the life which we have not seen in decades, recognizing this as a moment when many are becoming more open to the gospel. And it just finishes it off with other things. But after a tough and trying season, we may feel less able than ever to respond. Yet Jesus is still moved and moved towards those all around us who are beginning to turn to him. Note that all around us. Pastor and author Dane Ortland, in his beautiful new book, Gentle and Lowly, says... The dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the Gospels is the way the Holy Son of God moves towards, touches, heals, embraces and forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. That's amazing. And it actually leads me on so well to the story this morning that we're going to read in Luke chapter 8 about... As a, a woman uh, who Jesus met, touches, heals, embraces, and forgives. Uh, perhaps those who least deserve it, yet she desired it. 
John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And it's the story about how Jesus rescues the woman caught in adultery. John chapter 8, verse 1. Well, actually, verse 53 of the previous chapter. Then each one went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir. No one, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Just a little bit of background to this. In chapter 7, the previous chapter, we read that Jesus was being hounded more and more by the teachers of the law, uh, the scribes, the Pharisees. In chapter 7, verse 32, amongst other verses, it says that the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. They'd had enough of Jesus. They'd had enough of what, uh, uh, of what he was saying. And you know, in a sense today, there is that same message. People have had enough of, of uh, perhaps uh, there's nothing that Jesus can do. Uh, religion, everything, forget it. You know, we're in the modern world. But you know, verse 43 goes on, the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. And then chapter 8 and verse 1, it says this, Jesus spends, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. I don't know what he did there, but I suspect he went away from all the hassle, all the all the, uh, the hounding that others had given him that day, and he wanted to spend time with his father. And we read that he went to the Mount of Olives. But at dawn, he appears again, a new dawn, a new morning, and Jesus walks from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem and into the temple courts once again. And we're about to read the next instalment of this extraordinary life of Jesus. So that's a little bit of the background There's so much in this story that we could pick out, Um, but I just want to look at how Jesus deals with this situation and becomes the woman's rescuer, and how Jesus can also be 
your rescuer in your situation today. But before I do that, I just want to uh, take a moment just to consider how this woman might have felt. And uh, I cannot fully... uh, uh, The scriptures don't explain uh, all that she was feeling, but I want to suggest to you that one of the big things that she may have felt was humiliation. And in verse 3, it says, the Pharisees and the, the rulers of the law brought the woman in and they made her stand before the group. That sounds pretty much to me like someone who's been humiliated. The dictionary talks about humiliation as that sense of being reduced to a lower position in your own eyes or in somebody else's eyes. It's that sense of becoming deprived of dignity and of self-respect. It's that sense of being exposed in front of others. We have an expression in this country, you just want a hole to open up in the ground, which means that you just want, uh, you just want to disappear from the situation that you're in because it's so humiliating. It's just something you just want to get out of. And we say you just want a hole so that nobody can see you. You just want to somehow get out of this situation. And I suspect also that she would have despaired of her situation. She'd been exposed publicly, despair sweeping through her body, maybe filled with guilt, shame, having been found out, and particularly the very real fear of imminent death. There may have been other things that she experienced, condemnation. They would have been crowding in on her. However you may read this story, she is in a degrading experience and on the face of it seems no way out. I remember having a dream when we were abroad in Cyprus one day and I think I might have mentioned this before but over there they have, or they they don't know if they do now, but they have uh, police with their speed cameras on the highways and uh, which are our motor, we would call them motorways, they call them highways. And uh, they often, these police often are in places where you cannot see them as you're going round the corner of the road and you're speeding. And in my dream, I was speeding and I wasn't causing any particular problem as far as I remember, but the police called me over to the side and he said to me, you're guilty of speeding. So I said, well, what's wrong with that? And uh, he said, well, it's against the law and the penalty for speeding in this country is death. And at that moment, thankfully, I woke up. But I tell you, it was very real to me because it brought home to me that sense of actually uh, our state before God, before we come to, to, before we come to Christ, that we are in a situation that we cannot get out ourselves. We have been found out, we have been caught on the spot. We have been caught open-handed. But I also see just also a hint here with this woman that she was humble enough in her life, although it was in tatters, but she did not protest her innocence. Maybe you say to me, well, she probably couldn't, maybe. But I actually think she may well have actually heard about Jesus. 
she would have been in that community and word about Jesus would have, would have gone around the country. And here she is standing in front of him. Is it in the slightest possible way possible that Jesus might help us? We don't know. Again, another expression we use in this country is she was perhaps clutching at straws, which simply means that a straw isn't something that you can hold on to when you're sliding down into a pit or you're, in, uh, or you're drowning. A straw is not going to be much help, but you clutch onto it, hoping against hope. But in this story, we see that there's a standoff at this moment between Jesus and the chief priests. What's going to happen next? Who's going to concede first on this? There's an implication in the story that Jesus waits for the leaders to respond as he writes in the, stand, in, in the sand. But it says in verse 7 that they persisted with their questions. They persisted with their questions. But Jesus says nothing. He just bends down on the ground and he writes in the sand. Now, you make of that what you will, and the commentators do if you read the commentaries on this. But I suspect he may well just have been waiting in the hope that these men would humble themselves. Verse 9 again, it says, again he stooped down and wrote in the ground. Sadly, they don't. They couldn't come to a place where they humbled themselves before Jesus. But can I ask you this morning, are you ever in that position where you are unable to humble yourself? You're too proud to humble yourself. It's so challenging. I can identify with this pride stopping, stopping you, losing face, faith with others, losing face with others. But how did Jesus rescue this woman? This is the essence of what I really want to say. He freely forgave her, but at a cost, by showing her unexpected grace. In verse 11, he does not condemn this woman. And the story prefigures what Jesus is going to do very shortly when he died on the cross. Jesus is this woman's rescuer. In 1 Peter 3 verse 18 we read that for Christ died for the sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God, God's rescue plan. And again in Mark 10 verse 45 it says, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom, the price or payment made for redemption. His blood was going to be poured out so that others could be saved from the condemnation that is duly, that, that we deserve. You see, in Scripture, a sinner is someone who simply has not been able to keep the law that God gave to Moses. As it happens, no one could ever have kept the law perfectly, for we're all sinners 
There is no way that we can keep the law. The law is powerless to help us here. But Jesus, we read, came to fulfil the law. The Greek word for to forgive, I understand, also means to liberating, to, to, to liberate. What a beautiful word that is, to liberate us from guilt, from condemnation. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, such precious words. Someone has said that forgiveness is at the heart of every relationship. It is the essence of love. So Jesus comes to liberate this woman by the power of his Holy Spirit. He can liberate us as well to bring hope to others where there is no hope. What a word that is for our generation today. To be bringers of hope to people. There's been a couple of times recently in the last couple of weeks where we've been able, by the grace of God, to bring hope to people uh, who are, as far as we know, not believers. And their response was one where their face lit up. They're waiting. (laughs) They're waiting, friends. They're waiting for us to offer hope. Jesus restored her dignity. Her guilt and shame had been dealt with. And down through the centuries, thousands and millions of other people have experienced God's unexpected grace, his amazing grace, that they've been forgiven, but at a cost, and their lives have been transformed. I remember as a teenager, I went through a difficult time from the age of nine. I was sent away to school, and uh, I didn't like it. I remember every time that I went on the train or I was driven back to school, which was many miles away uh, from where we lived, and I was upset. I remember still one of your childhood, my, one of my lesser pleasant childhood memories was just crying and crying, even after being at school for days and days. I'm not telling you this because I want sympathy, but I'm telling you that I'm telling you this because how God rescued me in that situation. It's not a situation that I wanted to be in at all. I, I didn't do well at school. I was actually taken away from school before my time was due because I ended up one and a half, two years behind where my peers had reached in their education. That sense of not being loved, uh, that sense of perhaps being rejected or being sent somewhere else and not understanding why. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand why it was done because they thought, my parents thought that was the best thing. But inside, I was all churned up. And it wasn't until I met a good friend who had had a lot of mental problems. And he, I met him one day um, at some event where we were living, and I could see a change in his life. And I said to him, Neil, what's what's happened to you? He said, well, I've become a, a Christian, and I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and I've just been, my whole life changed. Well, I knew this guy before. He, he'd, he'd had a good job, and he'd had to give it all up. And I'm thinking, well, that, you know, what's going on? But I spent hours with this guy, 
and he showed me how much God loved me and he introduced me to others where, where I could, where I knew that God was in the place where this, where, where this church was. And I remember speaking to a man, I did a deal with God. I said, I've got to meet the man I meet after this service, uh, this church service that I was in. He's got to sort me out, Lord. And yeah, uh, he did, but I, he probably doesn't know to this day what happened. But I went round to his home the next day, and he, he was just said, well, let's pray. I said, what, here, in your house? He said, yeah. And then he said, well, let's see what God's going to say. I was way out of my understanding. He said, I believe God wants to show you two things. One, he wants to release you from resentment, and he wants to release you from rejection that you've been experiencing in your life. And that was the key, that moment, the weight lifted off my shoulders, rejection went. Um, I cannot explain it other than that it was the Holy Spirit of God. And yeah, I've never doubted the love of God from that moment onwards to this day. And yet, why did I go through that situation? One day I'll talk to the Lord more about it. But for the moment, I'm just grateful that he rescued me. Just giving you an example, your examples would be just as valid about how Jesus rescued you, where you were in a situation where you didn't deserve it, where you were asking all sorts of questions. That's what God does. He just loves to do it. He just loves to pour his love out upon us. There is no measure. We limit what God can do. We limit to think, well, no, he can't love me that much. Well, he can love me maybe 80% or 90%, but how could he love me 100%? But he does. We, 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 we just have a, need to have a... Oh, Lord, help us have an understanding, revelation of fresh love, that you, uh, understanding that you love us 100%. Yeah, you could say, well, actually, I'm not sure that I really deserve that. That doesn't come into his equation. That's not how he looks at it. He sees you as righteous. He sees you clothed in his righteousness. He, the Father sees the blood of his son, Jesus, and he declares you righteous this morning. Yes, the law could not hold us. The law, we couldn't keep the law. There is no way we could keep the law ourselves. But because of the grace of Jesus, we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we've been made alive in Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved by faith. We are his workmanship. That is it. Each one of us is a masterclass as far as God is concerned. We're all a masterclass. There you are, a masterclass. You, all of you. A masterclass for God. Let's pray. I was looking or reading an old hymn that was written by a lady with the unusual name of Fanny Crosby, who lived uh, in the 19th century, a hundred years or so ago. And there's a verse in this this um, hymn that says that sums up where we're at at the moment. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried 
that grace can restore, touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, chords that are broken will vibrate once more. And it was that last, uh, that last sentence, that last uh, line, chords that are broken will vibrate once again. So I just want to pray. Father, I just want to pray for those here this morning who feel crushed in some way. Feelings lie buried. But your word says that your grace can restore. Holy Spirit, touch with the loving heart of Jesus, each one of us. Pray that where the chords that have been broken that will vibrate once again Lord I pray that through this room Lord you're healing physically mentally, emotionally stuff that troubles us for one reason or another may the chords of our life vibrate once again with your love thank you Lord may we be those who bring hope to those around us this week in work situations Lord where your name is not always appreciated where being a Christian is difficult Lord I just pray that your Holy Spirit will make a way for your peace for your hope to come to people yes I want to pray for God's peace into people's lives my peace I leave with you my peace 